0: Imagine going onto YouTube and seeing a video featuring you. The problem, however, is it's not you. And shockingly, it's impossible to tell that the video has been faked. That's what's possible now with deep fake technology, which no longer requires the most high-end technology. What might be a fun tool to prank your friends might actually become one of the biggest ethical dilemmas of the 21st century.
1: Welcome to Signs of the Times Radio.
0: Well, it's great to be here again for another episode of Signs of the Times Radio. With me today, I have a quality writer that joins us on Signs of the Times in the magazine fairly often, and that is Nathan Tasker. How are you, Nathan?
1: It's a pleasure to be here this afternoon.
0: Where are you joining us from, Nathan?
1: Currently just north uh, of Brisbane, Queensland, Australia, a little town called Maryborough, if I can get the local pronunciation correct there.
0: How long have you been living there for?
1: We've been here about uh, seven months so far and uh, having a blast. It's a wonderful area.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. Well, Queensland is a beautiful place. Now, Nathan, my sort of interest is in film and television, in moving media, and you know, I used to do a lot of photography. I do more videography now, and it's crazy that amount of work that can be done to a photograph. Like I don't know about your level of interest in photography, but would you say that's a correct statement that the opportunities that you would have had with film photography back in the day with digital that brings a whole new set of tools with it?
1: Yeah, yeah, you're probably ahead of me. Uh, when I was in high school, though, I did have a great interest in uh, film and video. We used to do editing with two VHS uh, tape decks going backwards and forwards, and trying to, you know, mix things together. And we had some pretty fancy software back in the day, Opal Vision three thousand, and so forth, to to try and actually. Bring some fairly small special effects, like you know, titles and text <laughs> to a screen. We mm. had some very basic monochrome kind of overlays we could put on, but yeah, the last ten years—it's been well, twenty years, I guess. Now it's blown us away, hasn't it, with all of the realistic stuff that we can be done at the layperson's level.
0: Yeah, it's it's really interesting because I know Hollywood in particular really started investing into computer-generated imagery in the '90s, and I think it was. It seems like, I mean, we'll, this is probably something we'll come back to later on, but Star Wars, the film series, seems to have pushed the the boundaries a lot with the use of computer generated imagery. So for example, mm. Star Wars Episode One was the first ever fully computer generated character in Jar Jar Binks. Now, it's funny when you watch back on those movies, you, you kind of see that it was, it's, it's not that like great, like it's obviously fake. Probably The question is, because I was only a kid at the time, did it feel that way at the time, or was it like this, whoa, it's so realistic kind of thing?
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's a good question. I wonder what our listeners would think about that. I guess for me, when I was a starry-eyed kid in the early to mid-80s, and I guess when I saw these things, I was was starstruck. I guess I had rose-tinted lenses on, and I thought, that is so realistic. Obviously, it probably wasn't as realistic as as our expectations these days. But it was an impressive start. And I think when I was a kid, I was expecting great things to come in the near future and we haven't been disappointed.
0: The interesting thing is that these things have really taken off and Hollywood movies are generally saturated with computer-generated imagery. Uh, for example, one of the most pivotal moments that's going to sort of tie into what we're talking about today, which is deep fakes, is in, I think it was 2016, my mates and I, we, went, we go to see the new Star Wars mo- movie Rogue One, right? So we go there okay. and uh, it turns out one of the actors who was in the the movies in the 70s, Peter Cushing, uh, who, had, by the way, he'd passed away, like, you know, quite a few years ago. He is in the movie because they got an actor in there and using computer generated imagery, they managed to put his face onto the actor's face. And it was like the, the actor who'd already passed away is back there again. Wow. And, <laughs> and that was like crazy because it generated a lot of like, well, there was a lot of ethical issues that were brought up because of it, like, well, you know, this is a deceased person who you're using their likeness again. He didn't exactly give consent for you to use his likeness. Other people were like, "Oh, this is a great way to sort of honor his memory or tribute, but at the same time, like that he's he still looked computer generated in that movie, like it's not like people weren't fooled that he was alive again, but that's all cool and well, but it's a movie now what we want to talk about is deep fakes which is when something is taken off the screen and is imp- applied to a real life context can you give us a bit of a an idea what is a deep fake
1: yeah i guess this is a fairly new term and i maybe we're all learning about it together but only about as as recently as 2018 i think this term was coined i guess the big feature movie producers have had some technology for a few years where they've been able to do what you talk about with the movies. But deepfakes is essentially a a video picture and audio equivalent of what Photoshop was back in the late 80s, where we essentially get an image or or for a deepfake, it's a, a video clip and we, or the computer looks at it and then is able to do some fairly high level photoshopping, not to borrow a trademark term but in this case we're actually photoshopping if you like the uh, image of somebody else or the and or the voice of somebody else including the mannerisms the the hand signals the, the the tilting of the head the the moving of the arms essentially so that an actor who looks nothing like the intended target you know some some person of a different ethnic background could stand up pretend to be me and then the computer could make it look like me and sound like me and this deepfakes specifically is referring to the ability to do this even at the layperson level. So you can pay, you know, a few hundred dollars or maybe even less now, spend a weekend, and end up with the results. That isn't isn't too bad. And if you're a serious deep faker, you can actually fool the professionals. So it's pretty powerful doctoring of video footage, I guess.
0: Yeah, interesting that you mentioned that because there was this craze. I think it was like last year or the year before, where there was this app called face swap which is like you can swap your face with right, a photo yes. of someone else <laughs> and that's you know that's pretty low level stuff that you can just do on your phone and you know to be honest again you're not going to really fool anyone probably into thinking that you are actually someone else but the crazy part is that realistic deep fakes have really taken off now like one yes. of my first experiences with one of those was star wars creator george lucas again there seems to be a theme with star wars and deep fakes but mm. some guy on youtube pretended to be george lucas and he deep faked george lucas's face onto his own and it was so it was kind of realistic like it was like oh you have to kind of do a double take but then you you see it and you're like ah okay it's just a fake video but then more recently and this is where the scary part comes in because i literally just showed this video to my fiance there's a tiktok account where there's a guy who superimposes tom cruise's face onto his own and that video is like a splitting image you can't tell like i've you- seen
1: that and, it's, and i think i don't know if it's the same video or a different one similar to it but they actually had a round table interview discussion with george lucas and tom cruise and a few other fairly well known public figures and they're all discussing something but none of them are actually real people
0: yeah <laughs> And that's, and that's well, I mean, first of all, it's pretty cool. I read an article that, you know, like you said, it's not something you can whip up in, like, you know, just a, a quick app swap of faces. Like, it does require a bit of effort. And the guy who was doing the Tom Cruise thing said that, like, guys, you know, there is a bit of effort that goes into this. You kind of have to do a bit of acting to get the mannerisms right and stuff. But the face swapping technology is it just really gets it. Like the lighting and everything, it's really hard to distinguish. Mm. Now, it's cool to see the way technology is advancing, but are there any sort of issues with the fact that technology is heading this way?
1: Yeah, yeah. And I guess... Depending on what our listeners may have heard, it seems like initially it's a bit of a laugh, and you can have a bit of a joke with your mates or a bit of a, a bit of a fun time. But on a serious note, I, I guess the opportunities for for good and or evil, are. Are limited only by our imagination now you know if somebody wants to you know take some money off somebody else you know, imagine getting a phone call from a from a loved person a, a loved one uh, or a friend or you know fiance or spouse or something sounding like they're in distress hey i'm stuck my, my credit card's been stolen can you please just help me out here buy some you know petrol or whatever else and it would sound convincing it'd be the right voice it'd be all the right mannerisms it'd be hard-pressed for us to um, figure out who to trust. So, you know, on the political side, there's, there's been a couple of deep fakes of some fairly well-known political figures. Barack Obama, of course, is no longer the US president, and nor is Trump, but both of those have been deep faked. Uh, Trump was faked while he was in office. Mm. So imagine now that we have, I guess, Scott Morrison here in Australia or for, you know, in the States, you know, Joe Biden or or Kamala Harris or, you know, pick any. Any political figure, imagine if somebody decided to put words in their mouth and imagine if those were inflammatory words that might cause difficulty. You know, it's in the 60s and 70s, we're worried about a cold war with people firing missiles, but only two people could push a button, you know, the the US president or the Russian uh, president. But now anybody could make a video and it would, I guess, be the equivalent of someone saying, we declare war on you, even if it's a deepfake. <laughs> so.
0: Yeah, <laughs> and you know, it, the crazy thing, and this really hit home today, as I found out that one of the pieces of software that we actually use to edit this podcast, so pretty much what you can do is you grab a piece of audio, you you chuck it in there and it transcribes very accurately everything that you have said, right? And then what you can do is not only can you like cut out bits that it recognizes like your ums and your ahs, but also yep. you can write in words and it it analyzes your inflections and stuff throughout the podcast or the audio recording now just by the way like this is not the case with this podcast like this is actually me talking but you can change the yes. words <laughs> and put words that you never said into there now imagine doing that for somebody else and then putting you know compromising words into their mouth putting it out into public and someone someone's reputation being tattered by that you know what i mean
1: Exactly. I just saw it even this morning. I think it was uh, the last two or three weeks on a major TV syndicate in the United States, and the, the people, as they begin to realize exactly what's going on and what what can happen here, it's causing genuine concern. I think, and and I think for good reason. And, and several different interviews I've watched, people ask, "Well, what's what can we believe? You know, how do we know anything's true anymore?"
0: Mm. Because it's not only just about like, well, let's say. A deep fake where there's a a video like a lewd video, and someone deep fakes a a person's face onto that video to compromise that person, that is certainly harmful to that person's reputation. But on the flip side, it then calls every video into question because it could be used as a defense in court when there's a video showing someone in a compromising situation, and yes. and the the defense can say, well you how can you really trust that? That might be a, a deep faked video, right?
1: Yeah, and I—I I, I guess I'm not quite sure what our listeners would be considering. But there was a day and age, you know, 150 years ago, where maybe even close to 100 years ago, where photog- photographic evidence was considered almost irrefutable in the court of law. Obviously, there was a legal process to follow, but a photograph was 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 powerful, admissible evidence. And more recently, I suppose, video footage. You know, in the in the 90s, when we had these war crimes, it was video footage that was used to help convict people like Slobodan Milosevic, for example. These days, if the same crimes were to be committed um, with deepfake technology, I can just imagine the defendant saying, I didn't do that.
0: Mm. (laughs) It raises a whole bunch of ethical issues. And one thing that you, you really pick up on in your article, Nathan, is that deepfakes are an issue because of one key word, and that is deception. Now, Nathan, I just want to ask you, do you think that in this day and age, we are being deceived a lot? Are we being deceived by the media around us? What's the level of deception that's happening around us, do you think?
1: Well, that's a good question. And it's probably a bit of a tricky one to answer because it almost sounds like a conspiracy theory if we go around telling everybody that everything's a trick. Yeah. (laughs) But at the same time, I guess... The way i answer that question thoughtfully is to look back at what's happened in the last you know few thousand years i have a bit of an interest in the ancient near east and obviously technology changes and the sophistication might look different but the idea of tricking people is very much old news you know look back at the the uh, greeks using a a horse to get into the city of troy possibly if, if we believe that particular historian's narrative or we have you know, various examples of of people using stratagem or deception to try and gain a political advantage or a, or a military advantage. A particular book that I've found very interesting is a Chinese, I think he was a warlord or a general called uh, Sun Tzu, who wrote a book which is quite famous entitled The Art of War. Mm. And he essentially, to, to condense 13 chapters into one sentence, he says, War is the Way of Deception. And he mm. goes into all kinds of examples and details. This, by the way, is a required reading for people who are in high-level intelligence. The The uh, FBI, the uh, U.S. military leaders, they consider this book as like the ultimate textbook oh, <laughs> for true. conducting their operations. So so clearly that's important. I can't probably share too much, but when I was in the United States, I actually played a key role in the uh, visitation of an, an active US president in the uh, location where I was at the time, I can say that deception was a key element in protecting the privacy of the president. There, there was very, very little was told that was actually true because the uh, president's interests had to be protected. And oh, so wow. I think there's possibly more deception going on than we realize. The tricky part is how much and what can we believe? And, and I don't know if I've got a good answer to that, but I'd encourage our listeners to have a think because it's going to be tricky, I'd imagine.
0: Yeah, that's right. And it really brings into play this this key idea, which is discernment, because one can then say that everything is, like you said, a conspiracy where everything is fake and nothing is true. And that sort of existence is, is very tricky, that sort of mindset, because then you're constantly in fear or f- feeling like everyone is sort of it it almost leads to a state of paranoia, but that's the, it. The interesting thing is that this idea of deception slash deep fakes it started off thousands of years ago. Now it's really interesting because as Christians we believe in you know the creation of the world. We also believe that there were certain events that led to sin entering the world. Can you just tell us about what that deception involved?
1: I guess. From a Judeo-Christian perspective, the serpent, which was uh, Satan, basically suggesting, I don't think God's giving you guys a, a fair deal. I reckon there's a better chance for you to have a happy life and to get more wisdom and knowledge and to have everything work out for you. Just uh, do things my way. And in fact, here's a here's a bit of an experiment for you. Here's some here's some uh, fruit to eat. And I reckon when you have this fruit, it'll open your eyes and make you really intelligent. And it happens to be That was the specific fruit that God had said, you can have any other fruit in the garden, but just not this one. Mm. (laughs) And, of course, those that read the story in Genesis chapter 3 carefully, you'll notice that as the serpent rehashes the words that God had said, he himself doesn't quite quote perfectly either. He kind of exaggerates and twists and inserts, just like, like, like a deepfake, I suppose, to make it sound like God said it, but it really wasn't God that said it. It was really the serpent that said it, and it just kind of sounded like God saying it, but twisted. And unfortunately for us, it looks like our, our parents fell for it. Now, there are other people who don't have a Judeo-Christian worldview, and that's fine because whether or not we subscribe to a Judeo-Christian worldview, this idea of deception is pervasive. Even in the the Darwinian you know, naturalistic worldview, The whole reason we got here today is because the smart, tricky ones were able to deceive and usurp the dumb ones, and that's how we got here. So, regardless of our worldview, we we all agree that we got here by deception.
0: (laughs) Mm, Wow, that's an interesting idea. Just sort of circling back a little bit about the deep fake that the serpent was there, you know, deceiving Adam and Eve. Now, Satan in his original form was Lucifer was a, a beautiful angel, right? So mm, so it wasn't his yeah. he it wasn't his original form was it he was he was tricking them by by forming into this serpent wasn't he
1: that's that's our understanding, and I think there's good reason to hold that view i I certainly see it that way myself.
0: It's really interesting because then that sort of gives us the clue about how Satan operates in this world, which is you know essentially using the art of deception now. While we can focus all our time discussing how Satan deceives people exactly, we also want to talk about what are the forces that are fighting against that, and what sort of tactics the other side is using. Now, what's God's playbook in this sort of situation?
1: So, borrowing from Sun Tzu, the art of war, deception is the way of war. So, if there is deception from Sun Tzu's perspective, there must be a war going on. Mm. There's no need for deception if everything's hunky-dory, if we're all just, you know, living on a happy, peaceful existence with no, no problems going on. So I'd like to just suggest to our listeners, maybe you can think about this, but as you, as you look at the, the, the writing of Sun Tzu and the Art of War, the mere fact that we have deception ought to be a clue that there is some kind of a tussle behind the scenes. Now, we can argue what that tussle is, but it's more than nothing. <laughs> mm. And I'd like to just put that in there as a precursor and that's why i believe there is a a battle between good and evil because if there was no if there's only one side like some people say there's the yin and the yang it's all sort of together in one house you know they're all the the good and the bad are basically one entity working together if it was really that way then deception wouldn't be required would it but because we do see deception it's reasonable to suggest that there are in fact two parties at odds with each other Mm. and i guess from my perspective what i see The ultimate antidote to deception is to bring out some evidence, to bring out some data points to trust. It's it's normal for us to be doubtful. It's normal for us to have questions. Hey, if there's deception going on, what can I trust? What can I believe? How can I know? And the way I see God playing into this equation is that God is willing to let us taste and see for ourselves put the data on the table, so to speak, and say, look, you know, you guys feel deceived, you are deceived, let me show you some examples, let me show you what I'm doing, and then you will know that I am God. And it just so happens, there's one book in the Bible, the book of Ezekiel, which has been my um, PhD dissertation focus, (laughs) this book, 72 times, almost half of those times, specifically to a non-believing audience, not to Israel. But to people who don't believe in israel's god god says i will do blah 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 and then such and such will happen and then so and so will follow after that and then you will know that i am god so essentially in the book of ezekiel these 72 times a whole bunch of those examples are specifically for the benefit of the person who doesn't know who isn't sure is god real can i trust can i be confident that i'm on the right track here god says let me give you some data points then you decide That, to me, is pretty reasonable.
0: Yeah, and the amount of prophecies in the Old Testament that also predicted that Jesus Christ would be born and then he'd also die for for humanity, and then that ended up coming true.
1: Yeah, I don't want to uh, take away thunder from other people or other episodes. Um, I personally had an article in um, October 2020. And I was specifically looking at plane parking pilots and Paul the octopus, and that was looking at the Isaiah scroll in this particular example, Mm. and that'd be interesting reading for our listeners if they're interested to see our rationale for how we got
0: here. Mm. Now, the interesting sort of key question that we can raise, we have been brought to being aware that there is this sort of spiritual battle going on, and it sort of feeds into these practical things that we see around us. I mean, one obvious way that I see it influencing the world around us is, you know, the Bible does talk about the state of the world coming up to the the time of when Jesus will return. And it sounded quite chaotic. You don't know who to trust, that sort of stuff. And then when I look at the world that we we live in, it's progressively moving into a sort of a post-truth world. Now, this is a term that's been quite popular recently, and it means that truth is no longer an objective fact. And when truth is no longer an objective fact, then the question is, well, what do you trust? What can you trust, Nathan?
1: That's a very good question, and I think that's a question that probably all of us would do well to think about, because if we say we can't trust anything, that leaves us in a pretty hopeless place. And even just logically, philosophically speaking, it doesn't even make sense, because if you say, I can trust nothing, it's almost like you're saying that you're going to trust that statement about trusting nothing. And how can you even trust that statement? That's sort of a self-refuting kind of a circle, kind of an argument, that one. Mm. Then we could say, well, I'm going to trust myself. Or some of my colleagues say, well, I trust the good of humanity, which is a noble thing, and there are some good humans out there. But but there are some pretty disgusting humans out there too, and even the good ones can um, surprise us at times, you know. <laughs> mm. I'm sure all of us have had friends that we thought were decent people or Someone who was in a position of influence or power, you know, even in the church examples, there's been people we thought we could trust who've done terrible things. So we can't trust people. We can't trust humanity in general. What or who can we trust? Uh, I guess for me, I get tremendous encouragement from turning to Jesus Christ. And that sounds kind of funny and flippant or even cliche ish. But when I look at the life of Jesus, when I Look at the way that he handled adversity, the way he handled people around him that were anxious and worried. You know, Jesus used the expression, they're like sheep without a shepherd, mm. which I think explains how people might feel today. It says that Jesus' heart went out in compassion for them, and he told them good news. He told the people that were discouraged that they, they could have reason to have hope. He told those that were sad that he would help them find reason to be happy. He told those that felt like they were in prison or that they were pushed down and crushed that they could inherit the earth. These sort of promises I I think are really worth having a a good look at and I take great courage for these. In in Philippians, I think Paul here says, chapter 4, verse 6, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Mm. I I think there's tremendous hope for us as we turn to something or someone or somebody bigger than what you and I can muster of our own puny human effort.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's right. And there's so many messages of encouragement in the Bible where, Jesus says stuff like, I'm with you always, even until the very end of the age. That is very comforting in a sense, when you think about how tricky and confusing the world around us is that there is a constant that we can cling on to. Now, someone might be listening to this and and find the idea of that quite intriguing on an intellectual level, but what's a sort of a first step that they can maybe take to to experiencing that for themselves?
1: Well, I I guess there could be two groups of people in our listening audience, maybe there's a group that says, well, I don't even believe this stuff. You know, that's kind of a bit far out there for me. And if you're in that first group, I would say, why not try a scientific experiment? Maybe maybe you believe in the empirical method. Jesus, I believe, is real and exists. And if you were to go quietly, privately to him in the in the privacy of your own home with no one else around, and you are sincere because God is able to see through our hearts, I believe. If we're just playing games, he will respectfully stand back. But if we, in the first category, say, God, I don't even know if you exist, this whole Jesus thing, you know, I don't know about that. But I want to know, I want to have the assurance that you are real and that you care about me. And I'm open to whatever you want to do in my life. I want you to speak to me in a way that makes sense to me. And then I will know that I can trust you. I I challenge you, if you don't believe but you want to figure it out for yourself, I believe, if you're sincere in your heart, that Jesus will answer that request. And you can just make it audibly. You can make it private. You can even think it in your mind, if you like. You can write it down on a piece of paper. But don't let any other human see it. Keep it private, because if another human sees it, you might think, oh, you know, somebody else just tried to play God on his behalf. No, keep it so private that it'll be, impossible for any other human to interact and then you'll know when it happens to Mm. your satisfaction that it's real and for those of us that have had that experiment already conducted or we have now the confidence that that there's a jesus out there but not quite sure how to cash in i would say it's really powerful to spend time talking to Jesus. It sounds really funny to begin with, but what I do is I will go for a walk somewhere in the morning where there isn't anybody else around or where people aren't watching or well, you know, it's a bit of a bit of a private place. And I'll just ask the Lord to speak to me. I'll just say, Lord, I, I want to um, hear your voice today. I want to know what you're thinking. You know what I'm thinking already, so I don't need to tell you a whole lot, but I want to know what, you're, what, you, what you care about. I'm worried about this, as you know. What, what's the peace that you can give me? How can I have confidence today? And I might read through uh, the Gospel of uh, Mark, for example. That's a good book for people who are new to faith. Or the book of John. And uh, I find there's some powerful, powerful stuff in there that really will encourage us. Jesus faced some huge stuff. And we can be confident that as we face the big stuff with Jesus' help, we can get through it too.
0: Yeah, that's well, that's a really powerful thought to finish up on. Because at the end of the day, Jesus was walking around on this earth and Satan tried to deceive him as well. So, we are not alone in this struggle in this day and age when it's it's tough to figure out what's true, what's not true, what's real, what's not real. So, there's some really you know, practical steps that you just shared with us there, Nathan, that I think are very great. So thanks so much for joining us this week, Nathan.
1: Thank you so much. And thank you, listeners. Today's episode was based on an article appearing in this month's Signs of the Times magazine. A subscription is just $26 for 11 issues a year. To find out more, visit signsofthetimes.org.au in Australia or signsofthetimes.org.nz in New Zealand. This is an Adventist Media podcast.